covering the whole chapter today, and I'm going to do my best to zoom through this without leaving you in the dust. But if you look at chapter 2, what you look at are you look at it's false prophets and false teachers. This is a fun sermon to preach. And so in my research, um, I came across... Um, looking at things that are counterfeit or things that are forged. Any, we had any art connoisseurs in our audience? Um, take art appreciation in college. Remember that class? You learned about Monet and Rembrandt and Picasso and all these, you know, Van Gogh. And you learn about all these uh, artists throughout the centuries. And, you know, there are a lot of forgeries in the world today. Did you know that 50, they, they estimate 50% of the art world is made up of forgeries. Clean up on aisle one. <laughs> and I was watching some of these videos of these forgers, and I told my wife about this, and she asked me, she says, well, why are they making copies? Why can't they just make their own artwork? I said, honey, Here's the deal. When you're an artist, you are poor and you die poor and everyone else profits off your skills once you're dead because then all your artwork becomes valuable. And I was watching these forgers and they were so good. They had these techniques down. One guy, his name's, his, AKA his name is Max the Forger. He's a, a British guy. And uh, he started doing it because he started making money. And what he would do is he would take this like beeswax and he would find these old prints and he'd clean them off and he'd paint on something else that was similar to an artist. And then he would take this beeswax, he would melt it down, put it in water, he would let it cool overnight after he boiled it. He would wipe the whole painting with it and then he would take it over a heater and he would move it in circles until it started cracking and then he would wash it off. Then he'd take the hoover, he said, you know, people in Britain are a little different. We call it a vacuum, they call it a hoover. So you take out the hoover and you empty out all the dirt onto the the cracks within the painting. And then it looks like old. says, you put it under glass, you can never tell. He said, sure enough, I'm watching Antique Roadshow. You ever watch that show? You ever wish you had something in the, the basement or the garage? Like, oh, I wonder how much this is worth. And he said, sure enough, I saw my painting, and it's dated for the 1700s, and I know I painted it two weeks ago. There was another British guy who was a um, forger. And he got in prison for fraud, but not for for painting um, fraudulent pictures and paintings. And he said he could do Picasso. He could do two or three a day. They were so easy. And he he said that he had one of his sold to someone else. You see, art um, auctioneers, they don't don't do their due diligence all the time. And he said, sure enough, one of his Picassos went to um, an art auction, made it through all the requirements to prove that it was actually Picasso. And he said, sure enough, they valued it at over a million dollars. 50% of the art world is made up of forgeries. Now, what does this have to do with us today? Because here's the important thing. We live in a world of fakes, posers, people pretending to to be someone else than who they are. It doesn't take long for us to scroll on social media and we can realize we put forward our best foot knowing that it only probably represents 10% of who we actually are. And the problem for us is the church is susceptible to the same thing. In fact, we have found out throughout the centuries that false teachers and false prophets have infiltrated the church and they've twisted scripture to mean something other than what it actually means in leading people astray. And so why 
does Peter address the false prophets and false teachers? Because they exist. And why should we address it? Because the wrong Jesus is the wrong Savior. Do you understand? There are other churches and religious groups that have different views of who Jesus is. Some of these, they claim that Jesus was the firstborn, not actually a part of the Godhead from all eternity past, with the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, but that he was the first created being. See how subtle that is? And that in his first creation, then God created everything through him. Do you see how subtle that is? And if you put your hope and faith in that Jesus, it's not the Jesus of the Scriptures. This is just the tip of the iceberg, but can you understand how important it is that we get this right? And that, no, that we're no further away from the first century church of false teachers and, and prophets coming into the church. It's not just that they're on TV, and we'll get to them in a minute. But false teaching runs rampant. And so this morning, what we're going to be reminded in 2 Peter is that we need to hold on to the truth. And we need to hold on to this because it Eternity is at stake. So we've got a lot of scriptures to cover this morning. I'm going to read the entire chapter of 2 Peter, and then I'm going to break it down into three categories, and I hope that this encourages you. I hope that this awakens your mind to what exists out there. If, you, if you're a friend of mine on Facebook, you've seen I posted a few things recently about false teachers, some of whom you would be surprised to know that they're false teachers but when they stand on the stage and they say that Jesus had to break the law to save you, they're wrong. When they pump across the stage and they have people sitting in their churches, that when he says something that really isn't that profound, but with just a restatement of something that you're like, so if it's already been in me and I didn't know it was on me, but it's in me, then I know that it's on me and I can be in me. And you're like, what? And then you got people clapping. And then you got the crowd in a frenzy, and then you got the pastor jumping across stage saying, I am God Almighty. I'm, like, I'm like being mild. Saying, I am God Almighty. And you've probably reposted some of his pithy sayings. Do you see how dangerous this is? So I want to encourage you. One, and what is a false teacher and a false prophet? How do we recognize them? And then there's hope for you. Do you know that? There's hope for you. And I pray that this is what this word teaches us this morning. So go ahead, get out your journals, go to 2 Peter chapter 2. Let's read through these. I'll break these down, and we'll discuss them together. Chapter 2, verse 1, but false prophets... Okay, real, real quick, pause, sorry. As we get into this, we have to understand that the first chapter of the second book of, of Peter... Peter's writing to the churches in Asia Minor, and he's reminding them. And the first thing he reminds them of is who they are in Christ and what Christ in them looks like. Alan preached about this two weeks ago. Do you remember that? And then John followed up last week, and what did he talk about? He talked about the authority of the Scripture through the power of God and His Spirit that carried along the prophets and the apostles to give us the Word today. And now Peter's saying, you've got the foundation. You know what the Word of truth is. Now let's get to some false things. So here we go. But false, false prophets also arose among the people. Now he's referring back to Israel and the nation of Israel. We'll get to that in a minute as well. Just as there will be false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who, who bought them, 
bringing upon themselves swift destruction, and many will follow their sensuality, and because of them the way of truth will be blasphemed. And in their greed they will exploit you with false words. Their condemnation from long ago is not idle, and their destruction is not asleep. Verse 4, For if God did not spare angels when they sinned, but cast them into hell and committed them to chains of gloomy darkness to be kept until the judgment, if he did not spare the ancient world but preserved Noah, a herald of righteousness with seven others, when he brought a flood upon the world of, un- of the ungodly. If by turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah to ashes, he condemned them, condemned them to extinction, making them an example of what is going to happen to the ungodly. And if he rescued righteous Lot, greatly distressed by the sensual conduct of the wicked, for as, the right, for as that righteous man lived among them day after day, he was tormenting his righteous soul over their lawless deeds that he saw and heard. Then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials and to keep the unrighteous under punishment until the day of judgment, and especially those who indulge in the lust of defiling passion and despise authority. Stay with me. Bold and willful, they do not tremble as they blaspheme the glorious ones. Whereas angels, though greater in might and power, do not pronounce a blasphemous judgment against them before the Lord. But, but these, like irrational animals, creatures of instinct, born to be caught and destroyed, blaspheming about matters of which they are ignorant, will also be destroyed in their destruction, suffering wrong as the, as the wage for their wrongdoing. They count it pleasure to reveal in the daytime. They are blots and blemishes, revealing in their deception, reveling in their deceptions while they feast with you. They have eyes full of adultery, insatiable for sin. They entice unsteady souls. They have hearts trained in greed, accursed children. Forsaking the right way, they have gone astray. They have followed the way of Balaam, the son of Beor, who loved gain from wrongdoing, but was rebuked for his own transgression. A speechless donkey spoke with a human voice and restrained the prophet's madness. Verse 17, these are waterless springs and mist driven by a storm. For them, the gloom of utter darkness has been reserved. For speaking loud boasts of folly, they entice by sensual passions of the flesh those who are barely escaping from those who live in error. They promise them freedom, but they themselves are slaves of corruption. For whatever overcomes a person, to that he is enslaved. For if after they have escaped the defilements of the world through the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled in them and overcome, the last state has become worse for them than the first. For it would have been better for them never to have known the way of righteousness than after knowing it to turn back from the holy commandment delivered to them. What the the true proverb says has happened to them. The dog returns to its own vomit, and the sow, after washing herself, returns to wallow in the mire. That's a lot, isn't it? It's a lot because it's important for us to understand what is happening. He talks about false teachers, so I want to go back to the very first three verses. And he says this, he says, but false prophets also arose among the people just as there will be false teachers among you. See, he's not saying if, he's saying they will be there. You will have to address this. You will have to recognize this, and you have to push against it, because here's what they do. They secretly bring in destructive 
heresies. These are things that aren't true about God, aren't true about Jesus, aren't true about how God saves us and sanctifies us and works in us. Even denying the master who bought them, bringing up themselves swift destruction. I have done some research. I have watched many discernment videos. I have seen false teachers today represent exactly what Peter was talking about. There was a man named Kenneth Copeland. Have you heard of this guy? Inside Edition wanted to do an expose or a story on him and why he needed a $40 million private jet to fly him over the world when he could just fly on airliners and coach with everybody else. And they cut him off as he's going to his vehicle, which was like a brand new black Escalade loaded to the max. And kudos to the reporter because she just got up in there and she started asking him questions. And he actually stopped and responded. A lot of times they just won't even respond. And he's talking to her. And if you watch the video, you see something demonic happening. These are the forces of the devil. Ephesians talks about this spiritual warfare going on. And there is this battle happening right now. That's why when he says you have been saved and you sit at the right hand of Christ, he's exalting us into the spiritual realm and there's this battle happening. And Kenneth Copeland goes from being serene and you see his eyes change and his finger come out and he's pointing at her and he's saying, and he's talking to her like this. And then he goes from this really wicked face to a smile. I've watched some of their services And I've seen demonic activity. I've seen people writhing in the aisles. You know what? That's what the prophets of Baal did. That's what the people in the Old Testament did. And I see, I'm going to name names today, okay? Because you need to know. There's a man named Todd White. He's got lots of dreads. Now he's got a beard because he's older. When you get older, you grow a beard. Makes you look more refined, I guess. If you can grow a beard. Mine's slowly waning, so I keep trimming it because I'm losing hair on my face too. (laughs) And this man proclaims from the pulpit that Kenneth Copeland and Jesse Duplantis are men of God because they're his mentors. Do you know what I see in their eyes? I see greed I see when Peter says, and in their greed, they exploit you with false words. I see Kenneth Copeland up front saying, money, come to me. From the pulpit where we're supposed to be preaching the word of God. I see the son of God whom they proclaim, who gave up all all his uh, riches in heaven to become poor on this, this earth, to become nothing, a slave. I see all the the apostles giving up all they had to follow Christ, not knowing what it would cost. I see Jesus saying to his disciples, unless you die to yourself and follow me and give up what this world has to offer, then you will save your life. But if you hold on to the life in this world, you will lose the life to come. I see them take John 3.16 
For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life, and preach his sermon on tithing. Robert Morris, Jesse Duplantis. They need these $54 million jets. Why? Because they can't be in a tube filled with a bunch of demons. These are their words. I'll see Joel Osteen hold up this book of the Bible, and they will even say, this is God's word, and then they put it down and proceeds to preach a message completely devoid of the scriptures. And I see him living in multi-million dollar homes with Ferraris and preach sermons, I'm good enough, I'm strong enough. And I see Jesus laying down his life and asking us to do the same. I have a list of false teachers. And my goal is not to slander them. My goal is to show you the truth of what is being said. You know, it's so subtle in how they teach. You know what else they teach? They teach you pragmatism. They teach you three ways to a better life. They teach you everything but the gospel. There is a preacher down in Tulsa, Oklahoma named Michael Todd. And on their website, their core values is prosperity and health and wealth. And I've watched some of his sermons, and he's very energetic. He is a great orator, and he's wearing $1,000 tennis shoes. And some of you probably have listened to his sermons. Am I against $1,000 tennis shoes? Not necessarily. But at the expense of the sheep of God's church? Absolutely. And I've seen him take and twist scriptures to his own means. And then lay guilt on his people for not having enough faith. I made a post a few weeks ago or days ago, there's this church up in Northern California named Bethel Church in Redding, California. They write phenomenal worship songs. They worship. I watched one of their services, over two hours. You think our service is long? Their services are over two hours every Sunday, and they have Sunday night service too. And I watched that video. It's moving. It's an emotional experience. And I've seen one of their, I don't know if it's a pastor or leader in the church, I, I saw one of their, their, their people come up and she led them in their offering prayer. We're going to do offering prayer number one. They have different prayers. And I screenshot it and recorded it. So I couldn't believe it. You might be seeing me share that in a few days as well. And what they say is, it's time to be generous in our tithes and offerings. And their prayer goes something like this. God, give us inheritance. Give us checks in the mail. Give us monies that we didn't know we had. The whole prayer is about how much money they can get. Hallelujah. And, and you know what they teach about Jesus? This is why we don't do their music, as good as it is. Because I cannot violate my conscience in supporting a church that worships a false Jesus and leads people to a false God. Some of you send me songs, and I so appreciate that. 
they believe in a different Jesus. And you say, how is that? How do they believe in a different Jesus? Bill Johnson wrote a book called When Heaven Invades Earth. Okay, do you remember this prayer of Jesus in, uh, in the Gospels, the Lord's Prayer? Let your, earth, let your will on earth be done as it is in heaven. What we do is we take this and we twist the Scripture. You know, Satan is great at twisting Scripture. He's great at getting you to believe something that sounds true that's really not true at all. We saw him when he tempted Jesus, but he was also there in the garden twisting words to get Adam and Eve to rebel against God. When heaven invade earth means they take that verse and those scriptures and they say, well, as it is in heaven, it should be on earth. And so heaven is perfect. There's no sickness. There's all the wealth. And so we should have that on earth as well, that we need to recreate society into this nation and society of wealth and health. And what they do, this is tricky. Now watch this. In Philippians 2, if you would turn there and read this, you would see that this is the, 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 the hymn of Christ, and it says, He became nothing. And they say, He laid aside His divinity. And what they will say is this, that when He came to earth, He ceased to be God. Friends, that's, that's heresy. That is the different Jesus. And here's why they have to say that. Now, we believe that Jesus was fully God and fully man at the same time. That's what Scripture teaches us. But it doesn't fit their theology because if Jesus was fully God, then, then we can't do what Jesus did. But if he was just a man empowered by the Spirit, then, oh, then he can do signs, wonders, and miracles. And guess what? You can too. Do you see how subtle that is? It's very subtle and very deceptive. Now, do I believe God still heals people? Absolutely. He's God. He can do signs, miracles, and wonders. But when we worship the signs, miracles, and wonders as the thing, then we've lost our hope and our faith in Christ and put it in what we can do. False teachers run rampant, and they're slick. And it's not just the guys you see on TV. It's not just the guys you see on YouTube. There are people within the church. I'm not saying this church. But in the church global, people will rise up. There's this movement. You see, it doesn't need to take someone who stands in front of a pulpit and preaches from the word. It takes someone writing a book or having a blog or having a website and having influence, right? We're influencers. Oh, you got 2,000 followers? You're an influencer. That's, that's, you change it. Once you get to like that threshold, you change instead of just saying, dad, you know, husband, follower of Christ. Now you're an influencer because you got all these followers and you're influencing people. And they'll write books like, girl, go wash your face. Get up. It's about you. Girl, stop apologizing. And then this very same people who are on the Christian bestsellers, and these books have nothing to do with Christ, completely devoid of the good news of Jesus Christ and the gospel, which is the only thing that we have do marriage seminars in the midst of going through a divorce. But you wouldn't know that. Self-help is a God that people worship, and it's infiltrated the church. 
And I find that really difficult to follow because when I read the scriptures, I see that Christ tells me to die to myself and live for his glory. Am I stepping on any toes? It's dangerous, and false teachers are among you. Let's move on, because I told everyone I would try to keep this short. False teachers will be judged. So as we pick up in verse 4, we can trust God in this. We can trust him that he is God, that he knows what is good and righteous, and that, that we don't have to be, we need to stand for truth, but we can allow him to be the judge and Peter reminds us of this in verse 4. He says, For God did not spare angels when they sinned. And spare the angels. They sinned. He cast them out. It says, verse 5, And if he did not spare the ancient world, but preserved Noah, the, the ancient world was wicked, and God preserved his people through Noah. Do you remember that story? And then even Lot, right? He's in Sodom and Gomorrah, and Lot is the only one who escapes. His daughters are left behind. His wife turns around and looks, and she poof into a pillar of dust, and the whole city is destroyed. Cities are destroyed. He goes on, he says, and if he rescued Lot, righteous Lot, and he was greatly distressed, he says, then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from the trials and to keep the unrighteous under punishment until the day of judgment. Judgment is coming for these false teachers. James 3 says, if you desire to teach, you desire a good thing, but you'll be judged more harshly. Why? Because we can lead people away from Christ into something else. And a false Christ is not Jesus. He is our only hope. And so as he pronounces judgment, what we see is we see in 2 Peter 3, he reminds us this. It may not seem, does it ever feel like God is slow? Does it ever feel like, God, bring your judgment? If you're watching the world and you're watching Afghanistan and the mess that it is, and you're watching mothers and fathers take their infants and throw them over a barbed wire fence, and women scared to walk out of their doors and hiding because if the Taliban comes, they will do unthinkable things to them. Christians hiding in the hills because there is no respite, there is no safety. And then we think about our problems. Are you heartbroken over that? Does it seem like, God, where are you? Why don't you come and rescue your people? Why don't you cause the, the compact center in Houston, Texas to implode when no one's in it so they can't meet and teach false things? Why do you allow these false teachings to continue to move forward in all of the world? Why, God? When are you coming to judge those who are on the appearance for you, but they are against you? Well, we know that the Lord is patient, not wanting any to perish. But we also know, if we read Peter he says, the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials, and we'll get to that in a minute, and to keep the unrighteous under punishment until the day of judgment. And then he goes on and he says, their condemnation from long ago is not idle. 
And their destruction is not asleep. God is righteous and holy. Here's the thing. We lose sight of that. Do you ever mourn and grieve and cry over your sin? I'm not talking about mistakes. Don't we often do that? We talk about our sin and we say, oh, it's just, I'm sorry, Lord, for that mistake. I was dumb. But do you ever grieve over your willful rebellion towards him? And Jesus' message when he came to this earth was repent and believe. It wasn't repent and become a better person, because he knows you can't do that on your own. It's only the power of the Spirit in you working through you. But we're in this tension where we wrestle against our flesh and our spirit and the spirit that God has given us. And so we wrestle against this. And I heard a pastor one time say this, and I love him to death, and and, uh, he's a good friend and a good father figure to me. And He said, when you become a Christian, it doesn't mean you're sinless. It means you sin less. And while that's cute and pithy, I find that sometimes to be untrue. What about you? Maybe God's delivered you from something that you've struggled with before you're a Christian, but you still have those those claws of sin that that just kind of grip you. And you plead with God to take it away like Paul did, and And God's like, my grace is sufficient for you. Why would God do this? Why wouldn't he just remove every sinful thought and action from us? Because as I preached a few weeks ago, there's fiery trials and he's refining you and he's purifying you. But here's the thing. Every little sinful, rebellious choice I make is an offense to him. And it's what put Christ on the cross. And so I should mourn and grieve over those things. And we should also, in the same moment as our mourning and grieving, we should worship and praise God because it was the work of his son that has saved us. And he's working in us and he's making us more like him and he's patient with us. But for the false teachers, we put our hope and trust in knowing that one day this will come. That he's not idle. He's not asleep. Judgment will come. So leads me to my third point. God will rescue the godly. Like he's already rescued you from the second death, right? For those of you who have understood that you've rebelled against him and that you stand in judgment without a defense, your only defense is guilty, Right? And when you understand that Jesus didn't break the law, he fulfilled the law because you couldn't fulfill the law. And he absorbed the punishment of God for your sin on the cross. And he rose again saying, I have victory over death. And in him, we have victory over death. And then we put our hope in what he has done. Lord knows how to rescue his people. In Acts 2, 21, right before, during the day of Pentecost, right before all those Jews who were cut to the heart, knowing what they needed to do and what they did to Christ, right before that, Peter quotes an Old Testament prophecy from Joel, and it says this, And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Those who call upon his name, meaning, Lord, I need you. I have sinned against you. 
and I need someone to go on my behalf, which is what Christ did. When we call on his name, what does the scripture tell us? You shall be saved. And so as those who are trying to lead people astray and twist scripture for their own means, and they're good at it, we take hope knowing that Christ has rescued us. Galatians chapter 1, verse 3 and 5 says, Grace to you and peace from God our Father. This is his introduction to the Galatians because they were dealing with some false teaching as well. I'm starting to believe something else. And he says, And the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to him be the glory forever and ever Amen. He gave himself to deliver us from this present evil age. That is good news, that Christ did that for you and I. And so as we live in this world with false teachers, we have to be on guard. Jesus told a couple parables, and one of the parables he told was the parable of the weeds. And when he told this parable, he's like, the kingdom of God is like when you go and sow seed. In this particular parable, he was like, you sow a seed in the field, the farmer goes out and sows seed in the field. And what, what does the thief and the evil one come and do? He takes weeds and he throws them and spreads them in the same field, hoping that he would ruin your crop. Now, this is a picture for the church. This is a picture for God's people. There will be weeds among you. And so what do we do? Do we just chop the whole field down and start over? He says, no, you let them grow together. And then when it's time for the harvest, do you know that now is the time for harvest? From here until when Christ comes back is the time for the harvest. Luke 10.2, he says, the harvest is plentiful. Pray for workers for the harvest. The harvest is here. And so one day when that ultimate harvest comes, there will be a separation of those who have led people astray, who appeared to be Christ's followers, and those who have remained faithful to him. So we need to guard against false teachers. How do we do this? How do we guard against false teachers? By knowing the truth. Well, what is truth, Rob? Sounds like Pilate. Well, what is truth? Right? That's, the, that's the existential crisis that the postmodern generation has tried to figure out. What is truth? And truth is whatever you want it to be. But we know there's a different kind of truth. And the truth is in the Word of God. In 2 John, verses 7, 8, 9, this is John's little book, one of his little books. He says this, For many deceivers have gone out into the world, those who do not confess their coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh. So such is one, or such a one is the deceiver and the Antichrist. Watch yourselves. Like it's so it's so amazing that, that God is speaking to us today through John in his letter written 2,000 years ago. He says, watch yourself so that you may not lose what you have worked for, but may win a full reward. Everyone who goes on ahead and does not abide in the teaching of Christ, does not have God. Whoever abides in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. Can I encourage you to pick up this book and spend time with Jesus, spend time with your Father, knowing and understanding it and reading it? And you may not have to understand everything about it, but the more you pick this up, the more you read it, the more the Word is in you. And this is the truth. 
He says in verse 9, abide in the teaching of Christ. This is the teaching of Christ, all of it, not just the red letters. Do you have a Bible that has red letters of Jesus' actual words? He's the author of all of this. All 66 books are his words. Through his spirit, through his through infallible, or infallible people, the infallible word of God. You have to know what the truth is. You have to know what is in this book, and you have to believe it. Because when a false teacher comes in, you have to know, that doesn't sound right. How many times have you heard people say, the Lord spoke to me? I'm downloading something from the Spirit. I'm like, that's really interesting because John says, watch yourself so that you may not lose what you have worked for, but may win a full reward. Everyone who goes on ahead, goes on ahead. You know what he was implying here? That those who go outside of Scripture and claim something that's a voice from God or a word from God, he has a word. He has spoken. You want to hear God speak? Read his Bible. You want to hear him speak out loud? Read it out loud. I stole that from Justin Peters. John 17, 17, Jesus in his high priestly prayer, he's praying this for his disciples and he's praying for all those who would come to faith in Christ. He says, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. Now, I've never been in a financial district or business. I don't have an MBA. I don't have any of that stuff. I just try to pay my bills on time as best I can. One time, um, I went to the, to the bank, and it was exchanging some money, and I got a, a $10 bill. It was really old. Remember these old bills? I mean, it was, like, really soft, and it was, like, from the 70s or 80s. And I took it to a gas station, and I went to pay for my coffee or whatever I was getting, and I gave it to... Um, gas station attendant and she took it and she looked at it and I could tell she was like thinking something's up she's like um I I can't take this I'm like why not she goes it's it's not real I'm like what do you mean I just got it from the bank it's so it is real it's just old and she wouldn't take it well I had other cash on hand at the time so I'm like that's fine and I went back to the bank and I'm like I was told this is fake they said no that's it's legal tender and when you look at the American um uh notes. You look at our actual um, dollar money. You know, it's evolved over time, hasn't it? But even 30 years ago, 40 years ago, they had processes in place from the paper that they use, which isn't normal paper. It's got fabric weaved in there. It's got red and green um, fabric weaved in there to the different kinds of inks, to the plates that they used. And they had all this, these ways that it would, be, it would be impossible for you to go to your printer and print it out and pass it off. The paper wouldn't match. Um, None of the colors would match, and you could tell. And you would think that if you are in the financial industry, that you would want to know what all the counterfeit money is, is looking like, right? But you know what they train you to do? They train you to know, be an expert in what the real deal green dollar bills feel like. You're an expert in being able to feel what they feel like, to see what they feel like, to all the tests that you have, you're an expert in the real thing. So that when a counterfeit comes along and you feel like this doesn't feel right, or let me hold it up to light. There are so many, there's ribbons in our bills. There's three different colors, kinds of ink. There's inks that change color on the bills. There's hidden pictures in the bills, right? All these things, they're so intricate when they're made that even the lines when you try to duplicate them, they get blurred. They don't spend time worrying about what the counterfeit is. They know the real deal. 
As Christians, do you see where I'm coming at with this? It is important for us to be creatures of the word. To know what God is saying in this Bible because when someone comes up and they say something that sounds on the surface pretty good, but if you know the real thing, you're saying that's not the, in, the intention of that verse. Why is this important, guys? It's important because we are not talking about health and wealth in this world. We're talking about eternal things. We're talking about a dividing line in all of history for all eternity. Oh, but they're good people. Lots of good people in hell. Lots of sinners in heaven. Oh, well, he's really genuine. He's really heartfelt. Good for him. But if he's teaching you something contrary to the scriptures, he's leading you away from the Jesus. When it talks about blaspheming in here five times, it's about slander against who Jesus is. That's why we can see people who have come into the church, profess Christ, and walk away. There's something better that they think they can find, and they've never really put their faith in Jesus because when he comes into your life, he transforms you and changes you. And I trust that the God who saved me is the God who can keep me. But eternity is at stake. And if you put your faith into a fake or false Jesus, you put it in the wrong Jesus. Be on guard. Be students of the word. Trust that Christ will walk you through. I love um, that he talks about this fiery trial and that the spirit of God is at work in you. And he's going to help you endure through all of this. And we do this by being students of the word. Can I also make a pitch? We also do this by being in relationship with one another. You were never intended to walk through, Christ, through your Christian life on your own. It's not just you and Jesus. It's you and Jesus and his bride. And you're a part of the bride. And you can't be a part of the bride if you're on your own. We have ways for you to get plugged in with people. We have Women's Bible study groups and men's Bible study groups. We're getting ready to launch our life groups. Yes, I know you're on the edge of your seats wanting to know when that's happening. It's happening soon. Next week we'll unveil more of that and have an opportunity for you to get plugged into one of them. But you don't have to be plugged into one of them. You can also be plugged into serving in ministries up here at church. You can also find your group of friends and you can do your own Bible study or you can just get together and pray. You can text one another. You can call one another. You were never intended to do life on your own because that's where we get sideways. We need one another to hold our feet to the truth that is the word of God. We need one another. Okay, let's pray. And I want you to walk away this morning not questioning whether or not you're saved, not beating yourself up because maybe you said something or did something this week and you just like, it's bearing down on you. I don't want you questioning whether or not you're still in the fold. If you hear the shepherd's voice, you're in his fold. I want you to walk away this morning knowing that in Christ you are deeply loved. And if he sent his son all the way to the cross, he's not going to give up on you. I truly believe that. And I believe that he's big enough to keep you and to hold you and to walk with you and be patient with you. As a, as a father, sometimes it's uh, rather difficult um, to study at the house. 
I have to get up really early or stay up really late. And I don't ever want my kids to feel like they're interrupting dad. And I know that they do. (laughs) God is so much greater than us. And when we trust him with our lives, with all of it, with our finances, with our sickness, with our health, with our friendships, when we trust him, we can trust him. He is greater than any love you've ever experienced. And he loves you. Let's pray and let's just hold on to the truth, which is Jesus and his word. God, thank you for this time in your church to gather, to worship, to be reminded, um, Lord, that there is a battle going on. And even in the midst of the battle, Lord, that you are working your good out in us. You are making us more like you. Lord, that we can trust you in that. We can walk with you in that. And we can return to you. We'll never interrupt you. We'll never um, take you away from something more important because we are important to you. And so, God, I pray that you would give us discernment, give us eyes to see and ears to hear and hearts to believe the truth and that we would hold each other to the truth and we wouldn't walk away and veer off. And when we do, God, we trust that you will be the good shepherd who runs after the lost sheep and picks us up, going through heavy terrain, going against dangerous animals and lions that want to destroy us. And you will pick us up. You will put us on your shoulders and you will walk us back and put us where we belong. God, we thank you for this. We thank you for the work of Christ. We put our hope and trust in you this morning. I pray this in Jesus' name.